sons or daughters of God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity to desire us to open your precious word. And I pray that as we look into the word of God today, that we'd give attention to the word of God. As we understand, even from the Sunday school hour this morning, that we prosper when we listen to prophesying his preaching of thy word. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be prospered today from hearing and giving heed to thy word. For the entrance of thy words giveth light, giveth understanding unto the simple. So I pray that you'd help me as I preach and give ears to hear and hearts to obey. And may we be encouraged and, and realize what we have through our Lord Jesus Christ and the love that's been bestowed to us in him. We do pray, have your will and way. Lord, if there's any in our midst this morning who have never been born again by the Spirit of God, received the, the word of truth in their hearts, I pray that the Spirit of God bring conviction and repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we think about, consider this passage this morning and consider what the Lord has given us, or the call that he has given to us, I want to notice several things. First of all, we are to attend to God's love to us. It starts out by saying, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Behold. The word behold means to stare at. Did you ever get a stare down? Chris talked about his mother staring him down this morning in Sunday school class, you know, that stare down you get from your parents. But, you know, it means really to stare at or to discern clearly, to attend to, give some attention to it, what he's about to say. Behold this. We are to consider what manner of love. The word manner as the idea of what sort or what quality and as we think about this love that God has manifested to us or revealed to us, this is the love of God, agape love. Uh, it's defined for us probably as best as can be in Romans 5, verses 7 and 8, when it says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love toward us in that while we are yet sinners... Christ died for us. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8 and verses 37 through 39. In Romans 8 verses 37 through 39 where he says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so he gives a list of things there, and he says none of these things. It could be height, depth, heaven or hell, it doesn't matter what it is. It can't separate us from the love of Christ. It's a love that has power. You know, this love preserves us in Christ Jesus. It secures us in the hand of the Father, and it's not based upon our own merit. It's not that we are good, deserving creatures of His. 
We may be creatures of his, but we're not good deserving creatures of his. We're all sinners, saved by the grace of God. You know, it's simply that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, if you are a child of God, it is not because of something good that you did, but by the grace and mercy of a loving God who gave himself for us. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the manner of this love. It's not typical of human beings to display that manner of love. I mean, there are human beings that display great uh, qualities of love, but, but most times it has an end somewhere. You know, you get ill-treated often enough, and that love stops. But not this. And this love of God is bestowed by God himself. Notice in verse 1 again, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. The word bestowed here means the, to, the, the act or effect of him who gives in such a sense that what he has said, he is conceived of affecting. So he's the cause of it. He's the effect of it. He's the author of it, and he's the one that supplies it. You know, an illustration of this is in John 12, 49. And Jesus said, I have not spoken of myself. But the Father which sent me, he gave me the commandment, a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. So he didn't, he didn't just speak of himself. You know, God was the author of it, and he's the effect of it, the cause of the effect of it. And this is what bestowed means. So our Heavenly Father, this love that we're speaking about, our Heavenly Father is the author or origin of this love and also the cause of that love working in us. It's not that we're just such great loving creatures. No, God is the cause or the effect of that love working in us and through us by his Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10 says this, here is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, so he, he's the cause of this, of love. Uh, verse, uh, verse 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect that we have boldness in the day of judgment. That's not the right verse. But, but in Romans 5, 5 says this, Hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad. In other words, it's, it's, it's made large. The love of God is shed abroad in us, in our hearts, by the Holy Ghost. So it's God that makes broad this love in us. By the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Go look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. Ephesians 2 and verse 4, of course, the first three verses talk about our life of the past. You know, we were walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We were all the children of disobedience, and we were all by nature the children of wrath. That's, that's, that's human nature. 
But verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. See, this love is bestowed to us by God himself. You know, Ezekiel chapter 16 talks about an unclean woman or child that was cast out and left. And how God, you know, clothed her and gave her ornaments and made her into a beautiful woman. He loved her. Of course, speaking about Israel. It was all of God. God bestowed those benefits on Israel. And he has bestowed his love on us. You know, it is great benefit to us as children of God to take a good look, a good intense look at the love of God that he's given to us. Somebody has rightly said it could be termed lavished on us. Lavished on us. Uh, and it's a one-sided love. Love is of God, the Bible says. Love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Uh, Spurgeon said this, quote, Behold means that God wants to see this love, and he is not ashamed to show it to us. There he says, you poor people that love me, ye seek sick people, ye unknown, obscure people without any talent. I have published it before heaven and earth and made the angels know it that you are my children and I am not ashamed of you. I glory in the fact that I have taken you for my sons and my daughters. Unquote. You know, when God took Israel, he said, I'm going to make you the glory of the nations. And they are yet to be the glory of the nations. He's going to purge them first, but they will be the glory of the nations. But this is the love of God that God has bestowed upon us. Now, notice, I want to notice a second thing here. The sentence. Now, that sounds negative, but it's not. The sentence of God's love is now. Uh, the sentence of God's love. And again, that sounds negative, but in court cases, you know, think about it. In court cases, sometimes people are rewarded. I just saw a case the other day where some nurses sued a hospital because they got fired because they wouldn't accept their religious exemptions. And now they're having to pay those nurses damages. They've been rewarded. And this is the truth that is taught here. Notice again verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. The phrase there, to be called, means to bear a name or title among men. It's equivalent to being acknowledged. It is expressing the judgment passed on one. So it's a judgment that God has passed on us, calling us his sons and daughters. Calling us his own. 
This is a sentence that he has passed on us. It's a judgment. Uh, chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brother. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So we've been given, we've been called, and we've been given a new name. Uh, this sentence is declared in Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So we are now uncondemned. We are now justified in the sight of God. And we've been given a new title, a new sentence, a sentence, a name. We're no longer the child of the world or of the devil or the child of wrath or children of disobedience. We're children of God. We're children of God. And this judgment is based, of course, upon our receiving the work of Christ, the shedding of his blood for the remission, or that is the sending away of our sin. And this, this sentence has been bestowed upon us by the Father through the Son. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You know, John 10.28 says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me. The Father gave us to him is greater than all, and no man can pluck us. Is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You know, you might ask the question, who calls us the children of God? Well, the Father does. In 2 Corinthians 16 and 17, the Bible says, Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. See, the Heavenly Father calls us sons and daughters. But you know, the Son does too. In Hebrews 2, 11, he says this, He is not ashamed to call them brethren. Brethren. He's our elder brother. You know, he has seniority in the family. He's the spiritual head of the family, but he is our brother he was made like unto his own he was made flesh just like you and i have he was made one of us yet without sin and he's not ashamed to call us brethren brethren and the spirit does romans eight sixteen says the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of god See, this, this sentence has been passed on us, this reward, you might say, that we are the children of God. We're the children of God. And God is not ashamed to call us brethren. A third thing we see here in this passage is 
the world is ignorant of God's love. If you notice again verse 1, the end of that verse, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. You know, the world really lacks knowledge of who we are. Do you ever wonder why the world constantly tries to get you to go along with its philosophies? Because they really don't know who we are. They don't know. They don't understand what it means to be Christian or Christ-like. Because if you're truly a child of God... Who you are determines your philosophy of life. How you live. So when your income tax preparer says that you could do this, but it's really not honest, but it would help you, you say to them, no. I'm going to do what's on, do what's right. And they shake their head and wonder, What's wrong with you? <laughs> what's wrong with me is I like to pillow my head at night knowing that I've done what was right before God. Because not only will I answer to God, to man, but I'm, gonna answer, I'm not just answering to the IRS, I'm answering to God. You know, the world wonders, why do you tithe and give offerings? Surely in difficult times, God understands. They do not know that God can put holes in your pockets. He asked the children of Israel in the book of Ezra. In the book of Haggai, God said, you brought home much? And it became little. I heard an old preacher say one time, he said, and, and he said the old timers. So, you know, he was old when I was young and he was talking about the old timers when he was young he said the old timers used to say deacon so and so is in the hospital getting his ties cut out God has a way of taking it if you won't give it because God says the tithe is mine it's mine you see they don't know the God who can put a coin in a fish's mouth and that'll take Peter's hook and it'll pay for Peter's taxes and Jesus' taxes. Hey, God can put a coin in a fish's hook for you if he wants to. If he needs to. You know, they, don't know, they don't know our God who can make a barrel meal not waste and a cruise oil not fail until he sent rain on the earth. They don't know our Lord who can turn water into wine or feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes or fill an empty net with 153 fishes. Or our God who can give us courage in times of fear and conflict or peace in times of chaos. Give power to stand alone in face of ridicule, pressure, or persecution. 
For he is the one that gives power to the faint. They don't know the blessed hope of the glorious appearing. They have no expectation of what's after this life. They don't know. All they know is what the world has to offer. And they're fascinated with what the world has to offer. Extraterrestrial things which fascinate them but bring no peace. Cartoon characters and so on and so forth. You know, Proverbs 28, 4 and 5 says, They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Evil men understand not judgment. But they that seek the Lord understand all things. You see, he says, the world knoweth us not. They don't understand. James Fawcett Brown said this, quote, If they who regard not God hold thee in any account feel alarmed about thy state, the, whole, the world's whole course is one great act of non-recognition of God, unquote. So they don't acknowledge God. They don't know God. They think God is harsh, cruel, a tyrant. He's rigid. He's unloving. That's what they think. They say God is not fair. God is not just. If he was, why doesn't he do something about all the suffering in this world? That really just shows their ignorance. Because all this suffering in the world didn't come from God. It's not the origin of it. It's man's rebellion against God. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Therefore, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You know, there's an observation I've made about all this, and it is this, that people that say such things are usually in bitterness and rebellion against God trying to justify their rejection of him and not wanting to submit to him. It's a rejection of the truth of sin and death it came about by man's rebellion against God and they don't want to accept responsibility for their sin or admit that God is right, that they are guilty and worthy of condemnation before a holy God. See, they just don't understand. What did Paul say concerning the Jews in Romans chapter 10? He says, For I bear them record, verse 2, that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. See, people want to have their own way and their own ideas about what should be right, and they will not accept God's truth. You know, Proverbs 14.1 and also 53.1 say the same thing. And that verse says, those verses say this, The fool has said in his heart, <coughs> excuse me, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth none that doeth good. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The interesting thing is, 
the words there is are in italics. That means they weren't in the Hebrew. But they are inserted by the translators to make complete sentence structure. So in Hebrew, it goes something like this. Fool is said in his heart, no God. Now, I believe the idea here is not only they are denying, trying to deny the existence of God, but they're also saying, I'm not going to obey you. Not going to listen to you. That's the attitude of the world. Therefore, they know him not. You know, every man has light of creation and conscience. You may, you may convince yourself that there is no God. However, I warn you that many an infidel on their deathbed acknowledged they were facing God. It was said of Voltaire on his deathbed, a nurse who attended him was reported to have said, quote, for all the wealth of Europe, I would not see another atheist die, unquote. As he cried out, quote, I'm abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I'm worth if you give me six months of life. Then I shall go to hell, and you will go with me. O Christ, O Jesus Christ, unquote. You know, sometimes people of the world will say this, who's God? He never did anything for me. That is a very foolish statement. Look at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> Acts 17, verse 25. Paul's at Athens, and he sees this inscription to the unknown God. And, of course, they worship all kinds of gods and had all kinds of superstitions or religions. And he says in verse 25 of Acts 17, Neither is worshipped, he's talking about God that made the world, verse 24, that he is not worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life, breath, and all things. It's God that gives life. It's God that gives breath. And Matthew tells us that our Heavenly Father sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And the passage there is talking about you know, don't just love your friends, love your enemies. Because God loves his enemies. Not just the, those that love him. And so, the world knows us not. They don't understand. They don't understand. Look at Second uh, uh, Peter I'm sorry, 1 Peter, chapter 4. 1 Pe Peter, chapter 4. Verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So we're to deny ourselves and not, not sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. That's what we did in our, in our flesh. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, 
Notice verse 4. Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. You know, the world has an agenda, and they want everyone to go along with their agenda. And when you don't go along with their agenda, they speak evil of you. That's what the whole woke thing's all about. But they don't understand. They think it's strange that you will not go along with them. Why? They think it's strange because they know him not. They know him not. And until they know him, they won't understand. But notice a fourth thing here. The fourth thing I see here is this title is a present title. It's present. This is, this is written in present tense. Notice verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That word beloved is used five times in 1 John. It's used here in verse 2. It's used in verse 21, chapter 4. It's used three times in chapter 4. It's used uh, in, in, uh, three times in 3 John as well. John uses that word beloved often. It means esteemed or dear or favorite. Now, God doesn't have favorites as we think of favorites. You know, you look at the life of Isaac and Rebekah, and they had their favorites. You know, there's Jacob and Esau. They were twins. And and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his venison, and Rebekah loved Jacob. And so there was favorites. You know, they each loved one more than the other. You know, God loves us all the same. We're all favorites. We're all favored by God. We're dear to him. It's used in Romans eleven twenty eight, where it says, as concerning the gospel, it's talking about Israel here, they are the enemies for your sake, but as touching election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. They are considered the apple of his eye. They're favored over all the nations. Deuteronomy 32.10 says, He found him in a desert land, the waste howling wilderness, led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. And Zechariah 2.8 says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the, glory hath, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. You mess with Israel and you're in judgment, it's going to be in judgment of God. You know, a normal father will fight for his children. He'll fight for his children. We saw that in Sunday school class this morning. The enemies of Israel tried to stop what the king commanded, which was also determined by God. That 70-year captivity was up. And God had said it would be 70 years captivity, then they'd return to the land. So God used the heathen king to make a decree that it would be so. You know, the enemies tried to stop it. 
You know what happened to the enemies? They had to pay damages. They had to help for trying to interfere with what God said was to be done. You know, we have a heavenly father who will fight for his children. Let me give you an illustration. Go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Now, it may not always come out the way we plan or the way we think it should, but it will always come out the way he deems is right. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if they found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So here's Saul the persecutor in his rage against Christians was met by Jesus, who's the almighty God, described in Revelation chapter 1, you know, and he shines like a bright light. He sees the glory of God, and he falls in his face, and, 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 the, and, and, uh, and he says, Who art thou? And he says, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there any record in the Bible anywhere that Saul of Tarsus ever saw with his eyes before this account Jesus anywhere? There is none. He wasn't raised in Israel. Jesus never left Israel. Saul had never seen Jesus in person like Peter and John and the Pharisees did. He'd never seen him as far as we know. He just knew about his followers. That's what he knew about. And he knew that as a Pharisee, that the Pharisees hated his followers, and so he hated them too, and persecuted them. Thought they were trying to destroy the law, so he persecuted them. Stephen unto death. But what did Jesus say to Saul? Who was he persecuting? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecute. In other words, if you touch my brethren, you're touching me. You're touching me. You hurt my brethren, you're hurting me. You know, if you want to hurt me, start messing with my children or my grandchildren. You're going to have a fight in your hands. And if you think that's going to be bad, you're going to have a worse fight with their grandma. I can assure you. You see, and that's the way God is. We are his sons and his daughters now. We are now. You know, 
what we see here in Acts chapter 9 is Jesus, the Lord of the disciples in the early church, he's rising up in defense of his own. And so we are now the sons of God, so we should not be ashamed to declare it to the world. We should not fear the reaction of the world. For we're now the sons and daughters of the Almighty, therefore we should commit the keeping of our souls to him as a faithful creator, Peter tells us. 1 Peter 4.19 Peter said, Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. You know, Peter didn't always live up to that early on in his life. There was time he was afraid. And he denied his Lord. But later he says, we just need to commit our keeping to him that's a faithful creator. To our God. To our Father. To our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Brethren, we are the sons of God. And so we need to submit ourselves. We have this present title now. We are his children. Look at, uh, reading this a little bit earlier, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. In the letter to the church at Philadelphia, in Revelation 3 and verse 7, he says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. I, I thought about this in Sunday school class this morning. I will make them that are the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not. So they say they are God's children, but they are not. I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. To him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him a, my new name, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith on to the churches. So I believe the New Jerusalem is really the, the picture of the bride of Christ. It's a figure of the bride of Christ. And so, this is a present title that God has bestowed on us. That we should be called the sons of God. You know, we really shouldn't worry about what the world thinks. It shouldn't really concern us. So behold, give attention to it. Consider this. Think on it. Meditate on it. Saturate your mind with this truth. It'll give you confidence and boldness. 
in your walk and pilgrimage with the Lord. So give attention. If you're saved this morning, if you know Christ your Savior, you've been given a new name. You are a son or daughter of the Almighty God. So submit your keeping to him. He is good, loving, and he is faithful. He will not fail us. So consider your, your call.